Well, hello, family. Good to see you guys. Well, most of you, anyway. It's good to see you. It's a joke. Hey, uh, I, I do want to take a, uh, a moment and just uh, thank all of our mothers here and, and those listening on the podcast. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for uh, giving your life and sacrificing your life so that others can flourish. Uh, so appreciate it. Uh, today, some of us are going to get uh, really great gifts and great celebration and recognition. Some of us are going to be lucky to get a last-minute card. Uh, some of us are, are, like John said, remembering a mother that's passed on that's made an unbelievable impact in our life. And so uh, I just want to say this. Uh, wherever you are today, know this. The Lord sees you. The Lord loves you. And your reward is with the Lord. Amen. Grab your Bibles. Open them up. Mark 10, 46. We are in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 today. And uh, today, Jesus meets uh, this blind beggar man. And he asked him, interestingly enough, he asked them the exact same question that he asked James and John when we were here last week. Exact same question. What do you want me to do for you? Wouldn't you love Jesus to ask you that question? See, Jesus is after this man's heart, after what he wants. And, and we're going to find out today that Jesus is after our heart as well. So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And he immediately recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. This is such a simple and short story. It's so easy for us to think there's nothing special about it. But Lord, there's so many in this room that can relate to it. So would you speak to us? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Amen. Amen. I'm going to just be honest with you guys. Uh, I'm going to try to make it through without crying today. But this is a really, uh, I don't even know how to say it. 
this is a really special passage uh, that I'm relating to. And I know a lot of you can too. So I'm not making promises, all right? Uh, let me ask you this question. Would, it, would you be able to recognize a baseball all-star uh, if you saw one with your own eyes? You think you could recognize one? Uh, Al Kaline, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Al Kaline. Uh, by the way, he died just last year. Mr. Tiger, that's what they call him, Mr. Tiger. He played for the Detroit Tigers from 1953 all the way to 1974. Same team. That's pretty amazing. He grew up in, the, in Baltimore playing baseball every summer. Kaline said about his parents, quote, they knew that I wanted to be a major, uh, a major leaguer. And so they did everything that they could to give me time to play baseball. Uh, interestingly enough, Kaline's mom would often drive him to two baseball tournaments a day during the summer. What a mom. Now, people would describe him as pale, uh, stringy. I mean, look at those biceps. They called him sickly looking. But with a bat in his hand, you'd think he was the incredible Hulk. During his career, he hit 399 home runs. He notched 3,007 hits. He achieved a 297 batting average, and that's not even to mention amassing 10 Golden Glove Awards. Pretty awesome. Kaline looked like a joke physically. If you were to look at his physical appearance, if you saw him walking down the street, you'd look right past him. You probably wouldn't even pay attention to him. You wouldn't even give him a second thought. But the truth was that he swung a bat like a superstar. Which makes you wonder, what, what makes one man a 350 hitter and another player with the exact same physical makeup struggle to hit 200? Like, how do you factor that? How do you account for that? See, the truth is that if you and I have trouble recognizing a baseball Hall of Famer, we may not be able to recognize a superstar in the faith either. We might think of names like, you know, Moses, great prophet of God. You think of a, a person of faith, superstar of faith. You might think of, I mean, Abraham definitely comes to mind, right? I mean, the father of faith, like it's in the title. You, you think, uh, at least I do, St. Peter. Uh, I think uh, you think of St. Paul, St. John. I mean, these are definitely superstars of like authentic, true faith in the Lord. But here, Mark turns our attention to a, to a face that we would just pass over if he was in a crowd. Bartimaeus. And there he is. He's just sitting on the side of the road begging for money. He's concealed by this huge crowd. There he is. St. Bart? Really? Really? So, so here's kind of the setup of the story. Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's already been in Jericho. Mark says that he's about to leave. He's passing through Jericho. And he, of course, where is he going, guys? You should know by now. He's going on his way to Jerusalem. He's making a beeline to Jerusalem. And he's, and he's repeatedly shown us that no one will stop him from Jerusalem. No one's going to stop him from the path 
to the cross, right? His own disciples will not tempt him off the way. His own brothers will not take him off the way. His own mother, Mary. She's not going to stop him from the way of the cross. Not even on Mother's Day. He's going there. But upon hearing this cries of this blind beggar man who's sitting beside the way, Mark says he's beside the way. Road and way is the same word. Jesus literally stops in his tracks. The sun stands still. Guys, that's significant. Jesus doesn't stop for nobody, right? So that's significant that he stops. And I don't know about you, but it makes me ask this question. What kind of person makes the Son of God stop his journey and attract his attention, attract his gaze? This is the benediction again. May the Lord turn his face towards you. The Lord is turning his face towards Bartimaeus and blessing him, right? What kind of person makes the Son of God stop his journey and attract his gaze? Because that's the kind of person that I want to know who that is. I want to be that person. That's the kind of person you and I should want to emulate and imitate, right? And see, what Mark shows us here is that a person of faith moves towards Jesus because they believe that they are desperate and they believe that Jesus came for the desperate. So we're going to look at each of those pieces this afternoon. To have this true faith, this superstar faith, we need to desperately cry out for mercy. You and I need to desperately cry out for mercy. Here we go, verse 47, 48. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Mark tells us that Bartimaeus was blind and that he was a beggar, and that he was sitting by the roadway, just like he did every single day of his life. This was normal. This was just Tuesday for him, right? And Jericho, by the way, at this kind of time in history, Jericho is like a little stop-off city for people that are making their pilgrimage to, to, Jericho, uh, to Jerusalem. It, it's not like the city that it once was. Okay, it's the so it's like a stop off town. Like this is where you stop, let the kids go to the bathroom, run around, fill up with gas, stretch, get back in the car and head to where you want to go. So like that's Jericho. So think of the mentality of people there and the vendors there and all that, right? Little town. On their way to Jerusalem. But on this particular day, ordinary day, nothing to set it apart. On this particular day, however, there's this huge influx of people in this little stop-off town that's not used to having that. It's like, where, where's the festival, right? 
What's going on? There's all these people that are coming, cramming into Jericho because why? They're curious about this new teacher called Jesus. And he says he's going to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's where all the bigwigs are, right? That's the Sanhedrin. That's the teachers of the law. And he's going to go to where the bigwigs are. So everyone's like crowded around going, who is this guy? What's he going to say next? So amid all this, so you got to imagine all this noise, all these like dust from people walking around, people bunched up together, above all this din of noise and excitement and like muttering and all this kind of stuff. Bartimaeus like hears somebody, probably some kid running by that he grabs, like who is that? What's going on in town? Why is today a little different, right? Are you picturing this? And he just hears, he didn't see anything, but he just hears on the testimony of someone that he grabbed going by, oh, it's Jesus the Nazarite. Jesus of Nazareth, he's come into town. And that's why there's a big hubbub going on. Remember, the big question in Mark is, who is this man? That's the question you should be asking every time you come into church during this series. Who is this guy? Right? Jesus says, who do you say I am? That's the question. And we've seen everyone who encounters Jesus thinks that they know him. They think that they see him when they meet him. But it always turns out that they're blind to him. They don't really see Jesus as he is, as the true Christ. Now what's ironic is that Bartimaeus can't physically see Jesus at all. He can only hear, he only hears that he's passing through town and he's about to leave. But blind Bartimaeus is the only one who knows who he is. Isn't that amazing? Because of how he responds. That's how we know that he really knows who he is. He responds the proper way if you know who Jesus really is and he's in your town. And so what happens? Bartimaeus cries out. And, it, and, and it's, it's over and over, by the way. It's not like two times. He cries out over and over, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's down there. There's a crowd. There's a wall. Like it can't get through. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's, it's shameful, right? It's like cringy. Don't you cringe when you hear that? Don't you hear, like, are you cringing a little when I say that? Like that? That way? Yeah, that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Kind of sounds like begging, doesn't it? Which beggars are used to doing. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. On me. Hear me. Most of the crowd, they're there. They're curious about Jesus. They're just investigating Jesus. They just kind of want to see what all the, all the excitement's about. But Bartimaeus, he was having none of that casualness. He was having none of that casualness, family. He was crying out to Jesus for mercy. Why? Because he knew his situation He lived in perpetual darkness. He's like blind, blind. Not like I lost my driver's license blind, okay? He's blind, blind. It's dark every day for him. And he lives in darkness. He lived in perpetual poverty with no way to get out of that poverty. He's not under any delusion that he could somehow help himself out if he just got a little boost, right? It's not like, it's not like you know, all he really needed was to hear some great sermon from the good teacher 
and that would give him like what he needed to get his life on track. Uh uh-uh. uh. It sounded like he just needed a little extra money from the good teacher that's going by, and then like that would help. That's all he needs. He's having none of that. He's under no, no delusions of his situation. In his mind, he needed this Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, to do something for him that he had no ability to do for himself. He doesn't want some like really cool emotional encounter that he can take a selfie and Instagram that for people when he gets back home. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Like, hey, let me just show you how cool an experience I had with Jesus. That's not, he's not interested in that one whit. He wants Jesus to change his life forever. That's what he wants. And Jesus is going to draw that out of him. What do you want from me? That's what he wants, though. The rich young ruler, we, we looked at him. What did he want? He wanted approval from Jesus. James and John, that was last week. What did they want? They wanted power from Jesus. We want to be in the seats of the power judging everybody. Bartimaeus wanted life-transforming mercy from Jesus. He wants it bad. He's saying, see me, Jesus. See me, Jesus. Hear me. I'm blind, I'm weak, I'm powerless. I'm nobody in, important in anybody's eyes. I, I'm begging. I'm begging, see my pitiful condition and do nothing short of transforming my life. Have mercy on me. That's his prayer. It's his one prayer he's praying over and over and he's not getting off of it. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that highly values strength. Amen? It's a high value. Value strength and toughen it out and gritting it out. So much so that the faith that Bartimaeus is expressing here, it really rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? Can we be honest? Like this is a message for someone else we're thinking right now, right? I know someone who needs to hear this. Someone desperate. It's cringy. I mean, we spend so much energy, if we're being honest, we spend so much energy just trying to convince ourselves and trying to convince others that we, we're strong. We're good. We're okay. When really we have major weaknesses that we don't, want to admit. We don't want to talk about it, right? Do you know what it takes for some people to go see the doctor? The situation has to really deteriorate to the point that they make an appointment and boy, isn't that even that a humbling thing? And fill out questionnaires. Honestly. And they go sit in a room and tell someone across from them that they are in a mess and they need help bad. They need help from you. They have to get to a point where they can literally no longer function with the weaknesses that they're experiencing in their body or their mind. 
ice, Advil, healthy diet, exercising, it has no positive effects anymore. It is a diminishing return of effect on that at this point. And they're in a desperate situation, so they go see the doctor. That's what it takes for some people. And guys, here's what Mark's telling us. That's actually true faith. That's true faith. We've got to come to the end of ourselves and finally confess that we need mercy. We've got to say, look, I'm burning all this energy trying to cover my weakness. I'm burning all these calories uh, trying to cover my insecurities, cover up the fact that I'm sad, whatever it is, putting on the front that I'm fine and I'm strong, and it is fatiguing me. It's wearing me out. We've got to come to that point. The truth is, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just faking it because I hope I'll make it after a while. I'll stumble upon something that works. The truth is, I don't really know where I'm going. I'm actually blind and in the dark about 90% of the time. And I'm scared to tell anybody that. Jesus, I am lost without you. I need you to have mercy on me. Listen, this, brothers and sisters, this is the person. This is the person that makes Jesus stop what he's doing and turn around and face them. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Desperate, and and you know why it's good news. Because desperate people are so cringy to us. They're so needy, right? It just makes you feel uncomfortable after a while. I don't care how nice you are. We block their number, want to tune out their cries. You know, sh- sh- come on, have a little self-respect, man. Have a little dignity, man. Isn't that what we think? But this is the kind of person that Jesus is totally attracted to. He's attracted to that. He like moves towards people like that. Isn't that amazing? He literally moves towards desperate, weak people who cry out to him over and over for mercy. And and, and that's the second point today. We need to believe that Jesus restores the desperate. If you and I are going to be people of real faith, we need to believe something. We need to believe that Jesus restores the desperate. Verse 51 is right here in the text. Jesus calls them, actually calls them. They say, Jesus is calling. (laughs) Go to Jesus. And Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) He's a servant king. He didn't come to be served, right? He came to serve. Isn't that amazing? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. There's so much packed into this, those two sentences. So we know that blind Bartimaeus here, he's the only one in the crowd of people with uh, this crowd that has eyesight. He's the only one who actually knows who Jesus is. And how do you know that? Because of what he calls Jesus. That's the clue. He calls him son of David. That is a term with messianic overtones. 
Bartimaeus is calling out to the Messiah who has come, who is coming into Jerusalem to sit upon the throne of David and save all Israel. He's like, I know who you are. Now I can see you and I know who you are. You see, most people in Mark's gospel, they think the Messiah is this warrior who's going to come and destroy all of his enemies in a military conquest. That's how they that's how they picture him coming. In other words, they think of earthly, political, military redeemer. But Barnabas thinks of the Messiah in the terms of restoring to wholeness and making broken things new. He really does see who Jesus is. And he asked Jesus to restore his sight. And you first read that and you're like, oh, well, you know, I would have asked for eternal life or like, like he missed the boat. No, it actually shows that he really knows who Jesus is. He's asking for that for a particular reason. It actually proves he knows who Jesus is. Why? Because of what the scriptures say the Messiah will come and do. The Messiah will come and do some specific things. The son of David will use his great and royal power not to serve his own interests, but to serve the benefit of others. Bartimaeus knows his Bible. Isaiah 42, 16, here's what the prophet says, or God says to the prophet. He says, and I will lead the blind in a way, lead the blind in a way that they do not no, in paths. That's what way means. It's a path. It's a roadway. In a path that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do. These are the things I do. And I do not forsake them. I do not walk by them. He knows who Jesus is and what kind of redeemer he really is. And that word that he uses when he addresses Jesus, that's another indicator that he really knows who Jesus is and what he came to do. He uses the word, uh, it's translated here, rabbi. But, but it's actually a very rare word in the New Testament. It's rabuni. And the only translation of the version of the Bible I found that did it right was the Christian Standard Bible, and they don't even translate it. They just say Rabuni. It's a very rare word. It literally means my master. My Lord. My master. And the, the, the interesting thing about them using this word is that nobody would have used this word for a mere human teacher. What did the rich young ruler call Jesus? good teacher. And what Jesus say? There ain't nobody good but God. Are you calling me God? Because I am. What's Bartimaeus in effect doing? You're God, man. I know who you are. You're the good one. This word was, was used almost only in prayers to God. What's Bartimaeus saying here? He's saying that he knows who Jesus is and he knows why he's come to Jericho, in particular in Jericho. He knows why. He is convinced that Jesus has not come for the strong, but for the weak. 
He's not come for those that are put together, but for those who are unraveling at the seams. Not for those with some self-respect, but for those that ain't too proud to beg. That's why he came. That's who he came for. Jesus, the Christ of Isaiah 42, has come not to dominate the powerless with his power, but to restore, heal, serve, and repair all that has been dominated by sin and death and the devil. Bartimaeus believes that Jesus has come for him. Not just people like him. He he believes Jesus came all that way for him. Isn't that cool? See, he says, he didn't just say master. Rabuni, that, that, that in is a, that's a possessive. My master. See, you came for me. You're my master. You came to Jericho for me. I know you did. That's faith, right? Jesus, I believe you've come into town for me. Someone who is blind and begs and shamelessly shouts over and over and over and over for help. I qualify for your mercy. I qualify for being restored by my Redeemer. And the crowd tries to silence him so that he won't be a distraction for Jesus. Right? But Bartimaeus believes that he is not a distraction to Jesus. He believes that he's actually the very reason Jesus has come. Nobody will see Bartimaeus, but Jesus will see Bartimaeus. Nobody will help Bartimaeus, but Jesus the Messiah, the great physician, will help Bartimaeus. And he believes that. Uh, Many, many years ago, I got sick with, it was just a common cold. It was a bad cold. It got so bad, I got a little worried it might be something else. So I, I was going to make an appointment to go see the doctor. But it was just a cold. And I felt terrible. And I was in a lot of pain. I made the doctor's appointment. I was on staff at the time at a pretty large church. And I had just come in on a Tuesday morning just for the staff meeting, just so I could be a part of it, hear the information, what's going on. And I was like, I was going to be out of there. It was like in, out, right? And people, when I came in, people were like, jokingly made comments to me, like, get away from me, Chad, you know, ha-ha. You better not get me and my kids sick, ha-ha. And then they, like, physically got up and moved away. I was already sitting kind of out of the way anyway. This is all before Zoom and all this kind of stuff, okay? And it was funny at first, but then it kind of moved into, like, uh, what I would say was uncompassionate heckling. It kind of disrupted the staff meeting because there was a lot of focus on that. And uh, I just was sitting there going, like, nobody bothered to pray for me. These are all Christians. Nobody bothered to pray for me. Uh, Nobody asked if I needed anything. They just wanted the meeting to be over, so I would leave the building. Nobody wanted to see me or be near me, like physically near me. And I remember later that day, I went to the doctor's uh, you know, office, and I remember, I remember sitting in the waiting room, the doctor's office, feeling alone and needing, just, I needed help. And the nurse opened the door, to the far end of the door, and I'm sitting here by myself. 
And she said the sweetest words I had heard in days. Mr. Lingle, the doctor will see you. The doctor will see you. Nobody will ever see me. Not even my friends. But the doctor will see me. <laughs> He'll see me at my worst, and he will give me help. Well, I'm so glad I came. You ever had that moment? What, what, brothers and sisters, moves us past our pride into admitting that we are in desperate need of mercy? It's this. It's knowing that Jesus has specifically come to show mercy to the desperate. It's believing that. The very thing that is a total turnoff to everybody else in the universe is attractive to Jesus, the son of David. Jesus will see you. <laughs> and he will restore you to life. That's the good news of Jesus. See, we will come to Jesus when we believe that he has come for desperate us. Like, I'm not wearing makeup, us. I just rolled out of bed because I'm so sick, us. You understand? Not the better version of us, but the blind beggar, I can't help myself version for us. The version that no one else could stomach because it's so undignified. That is the version of us that Jesus has come into town for. He's literally calling for us to come to him and be restored. You qualify if you're a mess. That's it. That's the only precondition. Isn't that great? And see, that's, that's what happens. That's what true faith shows itself as, is that we need to follow Jesus in his way. We need to follow Jesus in his way. Verse 52. He said to him, Go your way. Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I just think it's funny that the miracle is almost like narrated over. <laughs> we barely notice a miracle happened here, right? Because that's not the most important thing. It's the response of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is the unlikely superstar of what it means to have true, authentic, saving faith in Jesus Christ. He clearly sees himself, and he clearly sees Jesus, and he has acted according to reality. He moves towards Jesus in faith, believing that Jesus has come to restore the desperate, and Jesus restores him. Jesus has mercy on him. And just think about this. The first face that Bartimaeus ever saw in his life was the face of the one that he had trusted. They just had heard about but never saw him. He had to see the face of Jesus. His faith had become sight. He saw his Redeemer with his own eyes and not another's. Wow. Wow. And did you notice that 
Jesus told Bartimaeus to go on your way. And Bartimaeus, in that very moment, immediately it says, he decided that his way was to follow Jesus on his way. Right? Go on your way. You know what? My way is your way, Jesus. I'm going wherever you go. That's the evidence of saving faith. Real faith. It leads to following the way of Jesus. In Mark, the way of Jesus is a really important theme. He says it all the time in his stories. Jesus is not just the truth and the life, but he's also what? The way that these truths are lived out in our life. There is a Christian way. Christianity is not just a, a truth statement that we agree with. Christianity is a way of being in the world. Let me say that again. Christianity is not just a set of truth statements to agree with. Christianity is a way of being in the world. The Jesus way. Before Bartimaeus met Jesus, he was just sitting by the way, right? And now since coming in contact and encountering Jesus, he's following Jesus on the way. You talk about a conversion experience. That's conversion. That's what conversion looks like. That's being born again. And this is the natural and inevitable response to anyone who's been restored by the mercy of Jesus. I mean, how can you possibly go back to your normal way? Your normal way of living. You've been touched by mercy. You must follow Jesus, the King of mercy, wherever he leads you. And even that includes leading you into Jerusalem. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus didn't just see this. He saw everything after this, right? Have you thought about that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? To follow the way of Jesus? To, to seek to serve others instead of seeking to be served? To use your power to benefit others instead of yourself? Are you willing to do that? To help lost people meet Jesus instead of silencing their cries for mercy? Are you willing to follow Jesus all the way to Jerusalem where, where a cross awaits? Is his way your way? You will. You really will. To the degree that you see that Jesus has done all this for you. He came to our town. He came right down our street. He saw us instead of ignoring us. He saw us. He called for us. And he restored us. And he gave us a new path to walk. And he gave us sight. Why? Because he was thrown into darkness. How can we not follow his way of service and sacrifice in the world? May we all cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Amen. Let's pray.
Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, you, you say blessed are those that sh show mercy, for they'll be shown mercy. And we live in a world that needs to show each other mercy. And Lord, where we're trying to prove that we're strong and we're tough and we're fine and we're not scared and we're not sad and we're not whatever, Lord, I pray that you'd strip it all away. I pray for, our, for the sake of our souls, you'd strip all those props away and we'd actually be like the superstar, Bartimaeus, and cry out for mercy. And it doesn't have to be complicated, it just got to be honest. Let us believe that you came for people just like us, for people that can't get their act together. You love showing mercy. So, Lord, where there is pride, would you, Lord, beg you to remove it because you love us, and then, and Lord, just restore us. Thank you for all that you did for us through the cross. And it's in your sweet, sacred name we pray. Amen.